Uh, we are talking about the fact this is Labor Day weekend, so we know what that brings about. You know, vacation, day off from school, uh, opportunity for businesses to have a big sale. Well, sometimes it's uh, families gathering together and celebrating. Um, but I want us to do something today about uh, talking about uh, the biblical theology about work and why we have to work and what God has to say about it. And then tying that in with the opportunity that we have where we work as our mission field is an opportunity to reach people for Christ. Now, um, this message then basically is for those who are in the workforce today uh, so that you know, understand a little bit more about your work and um, how God views it and how he wants you to use it as well. But it's also then for the younger generation, our students and younger ones um, who've not yet entered into the marketplace, onto the place where you're going to be working. So uh, this hopefully will lay a foundation that uh, you remember about um, when you get a job, whether it's a first part-time job or when you're looking at your vocation and all that, that you'll remember uh, these principles about work and why we work and how to work. Then you say, okay, well, I'm, uh, I don't have to work. I'm retired. Well, you can thank God that you had to work, had the opportunity to work, and now retired. Some of you say, I've never worked outside of the home. So that's good for you as well. But what this does then is it gives you uh, some basis of how you can pray for your family members and friends who are still in the workplace. So the message is for everybody, even though it's about Labor Day and working, okay? We got a quick video to celebrate Labor Day for you. And we work hard. Long hours, short breaks, and not near enough pay. We give our passion, our expertise, our lives to the very jobs we work every day. We all have hopes and dreams. Dreams of accomplishment, investment, and definitely retirement. But let's not lose track of one thing. This Labor Day, remember that it's not our work that defines us but how we work, why we work, and for whom we work. Whatever you do, work at it with all of your heart as working for the Lord. Happy Labor Day. Well, happy Labor Day to you. I hope you uh, have some good plans for this weekend, especially tomorrow, uh, that you can take some time off and relax. Well, um, our jobs, our work, they're necessary for us. So what does God have to say about that? We'll look at that. But how about seeing the place where you work uh, as the mission field where God has already placed you? And if, if your heart gets burdened for the fact that you know people there uh, at the place where you work who do not know Christ, you know, that's a, a good reminder and evidence of the fact that God has placed you there and that's your mission field. And I think sometimes we, we overlook that. But if we are true followers of Christ and true believers in Him, then we should be convinced that the gospel uh, has the only power, the only message of life-changing power. And when we have experienced the love, joy, peace, and the forgiveness that Christ gives to us, then we should be ready, more than ready, and willing to share our faith as we have opportunity to do that. Now, I know in recent times here there's a lot of, a lot of uh, regulation and some complaints from people about other believers sharing their faith. Seems like we get criticized as believers about it because we're kind of uh, narrow about the fact that um, 
and exclusive in the fact there's only one way to Christ. And so you got to wonder then if I do have that urge and that burden to share, then how, how can I do that? And we'll talk about that uh, a little bit today as well. You know, for some people, their job is just simply a necessary evil for a paycheck. I don't know if that's how you see it or not. Uh, a recent survey asking us in America what our top five worries or concerns were revealed this. Work is number one, followed by health, conflicts, children, and finances. But that's interesting, isn't it? I see a definite correlation between one, which is work, and finances, which is five. And then those come before health, conflicts, and children. Now, some people take uh, what they call a dark view about labor. Um, and that is that Adam and Eve hadn't messed it all up in paradise or the Garden of Eden. We wouldn't have to work. Uh, and one uh, newspaper editor wrote this about work. He said, work is brutal. And work is a four-letter word, which means it's a bad word. And he said the problem for most people is that their work transforms them into something bad, something bitter, and something broken. And then additional research by Gallup reveals that nearly one-fourth, nearly one-fourth of the American workforce admitted to being somewhat angry at work. In fact, one in six employees acknowledged that they were so angry with a fellow co-worker that they were just about at the point of being ready to slap him or her. Sound like some of you work there. You know what I'm talking about. Then there are those who take that fatalistic view about work and simply say, well, it's just simply absolutely necessary since uh, Adam fell in the Garden of Eden in paradise. Well, that's not, the, um, that's not the biblical picture that God gives to us about work and helps shape, um, I think, our theology for work. See, work is good. Uh, that's, what, that's what God teaches us. If you want to put it in a very succinct message, work is good. And it's good for God when we work to the best of our ability, using our gifts and our resources, uh, because it then becomes a daily act of worship. We're offering up the best that we have in our work environment and our work efforts towards God. And work is good for the world when we use our skills and abilities. Think about the last 20 years or even the last 10 years about all the technological advances that we've found in, in this world today. And it's because of people with brilliant minds about working with, in the IT world and all of those things that have come in. And it transfers into, uh, into the business field and it transfers into the medical profession, the care and treatment we get. Think about where we would be. I guess almost in the dark ages if people did not use their gifts and abilities and invent and create and, and creating jobs at the same time. Uh, then work is good for us when we allow God to use our work to shape us into the people that he wants us to be. And then work is good for the gospel when the quality of our work is so distinctive that it causes people to ask, why are you going the extra mile? Why are you so concerned about the quality of the work that you're doing? Now, I want us to look at uh, two passages of Scripture today, and the first one we'll look at is in um, 1 Corinthians 4, verses 11 through 12. Two quick verses. So it talks about our attitude towards work. Uh, the Apostle Paul writes and says, Make it your ambition to lead a quiet life, to mind your own business, and to work with your hands, just as we told you so that your daily life may win the respect of outsiders and so that you will not be dependent on anyone. Now, when we look at those verses, I think it gives us a great encouragement 
to um, consider the quality of our work. First of all, when we're looking at uh, laboring with our Lord, we need to consider always the quality of our work. Now, you might read into what Paul is saying, that he's saying, you go to work, you come in at the entry level in the place of business, and you, you just remain content to be there. And that's not what he's saying at all. But he is saying that the attitude that you bring with you to your job uh, is going to help you go a long way every day as you go to work. Uh, a guy named Wendell Berry might have been right when he penned it this way. He said, the, the present national ambition of the United States is unemployment. He said, people live for quitting time. I mean, we all do that. We watch the clock. If you're on a clock and watching that hourly, you know, uh, you know, we're watching that. We're ready to get out of there when the day is over. We live for weekends, for vacations, and for retirement. And in America... This is interesting. 25% of the workforce say they are, they are working at full potential. Only a quarter of the workers say they're working in that full potential. You turn around the other way and it says 75% of American workers say they could, could be significantly more effective in their current job. 60% of United States job holders admit that they don't work as hard as they used to. And according to the International Labor Organization, we're working longer than we ever did before. We're working about 49 and a half weeks, if you have an office job, about 1,979 hours on the job per year. And what's interesting about that is that puts us to where we work three and a half weeks longer than the Japanese workforce and six and a half weeks longer than those in Great Britain. The other side of that is that while we're working longer, our productivity is down. And so that's something for us to take a look at as we consider the quality of our work. So what else do we gather from this writing and this challenge uh, that Paul gave to that church so many years ago? Well, I think first of all, he's, he was minding the people there in Thessalonica that work in itself is a noble endeavor. Um, and when you have the opportunity in the workforce to use your strength and your skills that God has given to you and be productive in doing something, especially if you're fortunate enough uh, to find a job that you just really love, then that saying is true. You, don't, you, don't, you never go to work a day in your life. Now, one of the issues behind the reason that Paul wrote to this young church about working and being at work and taking it seriously is because they lived in that day thinking that the return of the Lord was going to be just like that. And they didn't want to waste all that time and energy working when they could be doing other things. And so Paul was saying, well, look, you know, we don't know when he's going to appear. The same thing with us. But what we want to do is, is to be found faithful doing what we're called to do and what we're supposed to do. And I think a third thing that he's addressing is the fact that sometimes in the, in the, in the marketplace, there are those who get excited and want to share Christ, but they're overbearing with that. And so sometimes simply what he's saying is the best thing you can do to share the gospel is just to do your job and to do it well and let your influence speak for itself. And we'll talk a little bit later on how that comes into play. But all of this is a reminder to us about the fact that we work as believers really for God. And Colossians 3, 23 through 24 put it this way. Whatever you do, Work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for men. 
since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. I think if we understood that God ordained work and work is good and it's good for him and it's good for us and it's productive for our culture and our society and that as believers we, we live for him and for his glory, then we would work knowing that we are working for Christ. Now, when we're talking about this theology of work and that God says it's good, I want to give you four reasons why God says work is good and why he wills for us to work. Number one is God wills us to work so that when we work in reliance on his power and according to the pattern of excellence, then his glory is made known. In other words, when we work with the right attitude and and the right productivity level, then we bring glory to God in our attitude and how we work, and it makes a difference, and God is glorified in that. If you go back and you trace even to, to back to the, in the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve, Adam had a job, didn't he? It wasn't just after the fall. He became to toil more, uh, God said. But Adam had a job before he had a wife. You go back and you look at that. He had responsibilities in the Garden of Eden. And so God has had his design for us to do work from the very beginning. The second way that work is good is that God wills, uh, when God wills for our work uh, to be good is that we provide for our needs in life. By working, we, get, we, we provide for our needs. We're able to have a job, have an income, make the money that we need to provide for that which we need in life. And at that point is the way it comes in in the scripture in Genesis 3 when he talks about the fact of saying, In toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life, thorns and thistles it shall bring forth to you. And you shall eat the plants of the field, and in the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. Now the reality is because Adam and Eve fell, work became a little bit more difficult. Because then the whole environment, the earth and everything fell under that curse. And we have to do that work in the midst of thorns and thistles and it's a little bit more difficult. But God provides those jobs for us so that we can provide for our needs. Third way that work is good is that by the resources we make and we dedicate to God, we, we play our part in supporting the work of God's kingdom. You see, when, when, we, when we earn a, a living, we earn a paycheck, then we have to be as God's people uh, reminded of the fact that God has asked for a certain portion of that back. And the reason for it is through our tithes and offerings is that we support the ministry of our church where we belong, where we worship, where we serve, where we grow spiritually, and also the advancement of his kingdom around the world. And then there's a fourth reason for that, that God says work is good, and that is that it is a way, work is good because it's a way of building bridges to those who are lost and we can share the gospel. I know it has to be true that wherever you work, whether it's a factory, whether it's in an office somewhere, whether it's at school, wherever it might be, even if you run your own business, you know people, either customers, clients, or, or fellow workers who need to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the way you work, your attitude towards work, has a way of building bridges to those people so that we can share the gospel. And that's all what Paul says here in 1 Thessalonians 4, 11 through 12. Make it your ambition to lead a quiet life, to mind your own business, 
and to work with your hands, just as we told you, so that your daily life may win the respect of outsiders and so that you will not be dependent on anybody. And put that another way, I think Paul is saying through work, this is the way that God takes his church body and disperses us all the way through the mission field where we have that opportunity to share the gospel. So first of all, we need to take a look at the quality of our work because that really then shapes us for how we work and our attitude about work and that we're doing it all for the glory of God. We're working as if Christ is our boss, and he is because we're working for him. Some of you may be familiar with the bumper stickers that said, my boss is a Jewish carpenter, and they're talking about the fact Jesus was a laborer, and Jesus worked as a carpenter. You know, he was more than just an itinerant preacher. He was a carpenter for all those years, learning that skill from Joseph, his father. And he worked by the sweat of his brow. He earned a living. Now, that leads us to our second passage of Scripture in 1 Peter 3, verses 15 through 16. And it really helps us understand this concept about building the bridges to sharing our faith in Christ. Because Peter writes and says, In your hearts, set apart Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have, but do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. Now, these two verses challenge us to consider the opportunities of your work. Peter's writing at a time uh, and dressing believers when they are in a minority because they're still under domination by the Roman Empire. They were in the minority. And they were going through some spells of, of persecution, not like what anything that we would experience here, but what our brothers and sisters in other countries in the developing lands go through. And so what Paul is saying is, one of the ways, and Peter's saying is, that one of the ways that you get to build that bridge to your fellow co-workers who need to know Christ is you set apart in your hearts Christ as Lord. That means you have to resolve the issue first of all about who's going to be Lord of your life. And for us to have that positive influence about our job and how we work and build bridges to the lost sharing the gospel, we've got to set apart Christ as Lord of our life. And that means that we allow Christ to be in charge of everything about our life. And we remember that we work for God. And when we do that with our attitude that way, our productivity at work should increase and our attitude about our job should improve. And people go and um, ask us, why do you stay a little bit later? Why do you take so much care with the way you do things? Why are you so concerned about fulfilling this order today on time and getting it ready to go? You know, and you simply say, because I've committed my life to Christ and he is the Lord of my life and I work for him. You see, I think when we display not only the quality of our work, but the opportunities of our work, and we understand them, then we understand people are going to ask, how come you're so different? You know, we're all watching the clock, ready to go. We take every moment we can. We're going to take our sick days whether we're sick or not. You know, we're going to use this, uh, this job to get what we want. How come you have a different view about that? And you say, well, it's because of who I work for. I work for Christ. So, Peter says when the opportunity comes, uh, there are two things. First of all, it, to be prepared. It means that you have to be willing. You've got to be willing on the job when somebody asks you, why do you work differently? 
Why do you have a different mindset? Why do you work so hard? Then you've got to be prepared. And the first thing about being prepared means you've got to be willing. You've got to be willing to have an answer. I'd say because I work for Christ. And then I think the second thing being prepared means is uh, you have to be able. You have to have something to say. You've got to have a message to share. Something like, I believe my work matters to God and I want to do it to the best of my ability. When somebody asks you why you're patient with customers or clients or co-workers, you can say, well, because I believe every person matters to God and it's worth my best attention. And somebody says, why do you have such a, a, a positive, um, overflowing with joy outlook on life? And you can simply say, because Christ has filled my life with joy and hope. I'm not sure whether he still does this or not, but there's a guy by the name of Randy Kilgore who sent out a devotional called Marketplace Moments. Um, and, and it was a challenge and, and a source of encouragement for people in the marketplace as believers um, as they would share their faith and work with the proper attitude. One day he was on a commuter train and he happened to strike up a conversation with a lady who obviously was not a believer. And so he asked her the question that was the basis of a of a book and a lot of answers that he gave about the attitude for believers to have on the job. He said, uh, he asked her, he said, what are the five things that you would want most from your Christian co-workers? Now, I want you to listen to these five things as the woman said, and they fit into the pattern of what basically everybody else had told him. Five things quickly. First of all, she said, I wish my Christian co-workers knew more about their faith what they believe, and why. You know how you're able to answer that question? It means that you develop your spiritual life. You have a, you have a devotion time. You're reading the Bible. You're studying and reading other material so that you can grow and the Spirit can grow within you. And, and you have a regular prayer time, quiet time, and you're able to share out of that. You see, non-believers want to know, really, what we believe. And they want to know why we believe it. And you need to know that. Then here's the second thing she said. I wish my Christian co-workers had more hope in hard times. I think evidently based on that, a lot of believers who had a positive, joyful outlook on life kind of went sour when their life went sour. And, and believers, we, we can't fool unbelievers. You know, if we're unhappy, if we don't have hope, you know, it shows in everything that we do. And this non-believing woman said, I wish they had more hope in hard times. In other words, they say we got to find hope and peace and joy in Christ. Well, how come they don't live that when they face hard times? Last Sunday night, uh, we had uh, leadership training for our Sunday school workers. And, and Lee Clamp spoke to us. And he made an, a, a, a great observation. He said, you know, lost people aren't looking for a church. Lost people are looking for a relationship and hope. And I think that is what was behind what this woman said. Is that they want to know that we really have a genuine hope and that that hope sustains us when we go through difficult times. Then the third thing that this woman said is, I wish my Christian co-workers were more curious about the hard questions of life so that when asked those questions, they would already have answers. You know, like when 
when tsunamis happen, when hurricanes come and destroy, when children are born uh, with illnesses and disease, when, when it seems like young people die early, you know, and people ask you, how would a good God let this happen? And I think you need to be able to say more than just a simple farewell, it was God's will. You know, then they see God not as a loving God and a loving Father, but just somebody who manipulates people to fulfill His will, and, and not necessarily in a good way. And so we need to know the answer to some of those tough questions in life. And that again comes through a regular intake of the Word of God, broadening your mind through reading the Scripture and reading other books and really studying. And a lot of it we try to offer to you through the Sunday morning Bible study and some other classes that we have on Wednesday night. Fourth thing she said was, I wish my co-workers, listen to this one, behaved more honorably. Hmm. She didn't say, my co-workers who know Christ are sticks in the mud. They're never happy. They don't participate. And she just simply said, I wish they behaved more honorably. You know what hurts the church and the Christian faith and the kingdom of God more than anything else? It's a, a believer who doesn't live like a believer. It's almost every week now it seems like we're hearing where pastors fall uh, uh, fall into disgrace because of a lack of discretion in a sexual encounter. And, and that, that, folks, that hurts the kingdom of God. It destroys credibility in pastors who lead people of God. We all become suspect when those kinds of things happen. But you know what? It also happens when you fall and you don't live honorably. So you need to make sure that your life is lived honorably in the sight of your co-workers. And then the fifth thing she said is, I wish my Christian co-workers were more compassionate. See, it's okay to be passionate about the gospel, but there comes a time where you also have to be compassionate and be willing to share your compassion, your empathy, your care, your concern. You know, and, and, and so you can ask and say, okay, so how, how do I go about then if I'm going to live my I'm going to be prepared, I'm going to be ready, I'm going to have answers, and I want to meet these five criteria, how do I go about doing that? Well, you don't necessarily have to pull out a New Testament at every opportunity and go through the Roman roads. It, it's good to have it. It's good to know it. Okay? But there are other opportunities. The situations can come up something on the news. Wasn't that a terrible tragedy? You say, yeah, you know, in, in my quiet time today, I really ask God to give me insight and wisdom into how I could understand that. And you see, you let them know by that that you don't necessarily have all the answers, but you struggle with some of those tough issues in life. Or you can say, you know, in my quiet time today and in reading the Scripture, God's Word said to me, and it applies then to something that they have said in questioning about. Or they do have a tough time in their life, and you can show your compassion by saying, would it be okay if I pray for you? Now, you might get the shock of your life, and some people will say, no, don't do that. Uh, I remember when I was in seminary and in hospital chaplain, you know, I played that role out, and I, and I asked uh, this fellow one time, I said, well, would it be okay if I have prayer for you? And he said, well, if it make you feel better, that would be okay. Go ahead. You know? I, you know, I wanted him to know. It wasn't for my benefit. It was for his benefit. But I don't, know, I don't think you'll get shot down. May I pray for you and your family during this time? You no. Know, what, what, what more genuine way can you do that than praying for somebody? So you see, those opportunities will come. 
And the challenge for us today is when we look at our job and our labor, our work, and we think about our vocation and our careers as students, young people, when you're thinking about that, going off to college, even in high school, wondering about what you're going to do. You know, the world is open today with so many possibilities of those things. You need to see that God has ordained that work is good and done right. It glorifies him. And at the same time, it builds a bridge for us to be able to share our faith on the job site with those who do not know Christ as Savior and Lord. So, here we go. At the end of all of this about laboring together with our Lord on Labor Day weekend, there's good news and bad news. The good news is that we as believers are still the go-to people when life gets hard and people are looking for answers. The bad news is that when they do look to us for hope or help, sometimes they're dis disappointed in, in us and our answer. And so we need to strive to always be ready to answer the question that comes, why do you live the way that you do? Why do you choose to work for Christ? Why do you work the way you work? So that we can give them an answer that fills them with hope and confidence for life. Now that's a great challenge for us to live our faith and be able to share our faith with opportunities. Let's pray. Father, this Labor Day weekend, we thank you. Uh, that even you set the example for us that you created six days and then on the seventh day you rested. And that gives us the reminder that there is a natural rhythm to life and that part of that rhythm is not just work but also a time of rest. And so on this Labor Day weekend, we thank you for that opportunity that perhaps we can have a day off from work and a day off from school and maybe we can spend some time in your presence letting our, our soul catch up with our body and uh, just being able to relax, but also for at the same time, help us to spend some reflective moments looking at our job, our work, our vocation in life, and thinking about friends and coworkers that we see on a regular basis that we know do not know Christ and that we can share that message with them as we earn the right to do that on the workplace. So, Father, we commit all of this to you through Jesus Christ, our Savior and our Lord. And we pray it for your name and for your glory. Amen.